Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. We are tonight going to continue on in our Mark Your Bibles series. So hopefully, I mentioned that this morning, hopefully you brought your Bibles that you're marking up uh, with you this evening so that we can continue on. And we're going to be talking about making wise financial decisions, which we just spent some time talking about that, if I remember correctly, back in December. So if you want more details and uh, a longer explanation of some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, go back to those lessons on the website. Uh, But we are going to at least mark through several passages so that we can have them to be able to show to others uh, as we have conversations with people about Bible things. Uh, One of the great things about the Bible is Peter tells us that the Bible gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And our money is one of those issues of life that we're constantly dealing with probably worrying about more than we should and probably making a lot of mistakes in this area over the years. If, if I, I, I hear that repeatedly from just about everybody. Oh, if I had just hadn't done this or if I had done this, you know, if I had bought that stock back when, yeah, I hear that oftentimes from people. So it's good to go through and look at the Bible says about finances. I have found that one of the greatest ways to gain influence or to be seen as somebody of influence in the world as you interact with the world, number one is to smile, be happy, not complain. Number two is to be unworried because our world is full of grumpy, worrying people. Has that been your observation? And so if you can show the world that you're a happy person, you're you're someone who finds joy in the day-to-day life, you're someone who doesn't complain, and you can show yourself to be somebody who is not worried, and the number one worry people have is their finances, then you, you are a standout in the crowd. And so the Bible gives us what we need not to become rich and wealthy, because that's never the goal in Scripture, but to become content. And if we can learn to be content in our finances, we stand out in the world. And so that's what we're going to talk about a lot tonight as we mark through these passages. Uh, Probably many of you have heard people make comments about their finances. If you uh, work an hourly job, people complain about how little they're paid. There's a lot of discussion that has been going on for probably a decade now about raising the minimum wage and why that's good or why that's bad. People love to talk about financial things. This is an easy conversation to point someone to the Bible with. And that's why it's good to have these verses marked in your Bible. Somebody complains about, oh man, I just have too much month left at the end of my money. You can say, you know, that used to be me too, but I've learned to handle things differently. Really, really, what did what, you learn? Why don't we sit down and I'll show it to you? Isn't that simple? That's a really simple discussion to have with somebody. And so that's why I want to mark through these verses. We're going to go rather quickly 
because if you notice on the back of your bulletin, there's a lot of verses that are attached to this route. So uh, if, if I get ahead of you, you have the verses in your bulletin. Make sure that you just, you know, you don't have to rush through to keep up with me. Just mark there on your bulletin where I got away from you and then finish it a little bit later tonight or this week. Our first verse in this series of lessons is over in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. And the reason I start with this one is because it shows us that God considers the way we handle our finances to be a big deal. This is not something that is non-biblical or unspiritual. God considers our lack of meeting the responsibility he has given us financially to be a, a problem. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, that's a money issue. If you're not providing for and taking care of your family, your household, here's what Paul says. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There are not many things that the Bible considers worse than being an unbeliever, but this is one of them. If you are not doing what is necessary to take care of your family, and in this context, financially, then you are denying the faith in the way that you are living. That's blunt, bold, no questions asked. You just do this job. Now, that does not mean providing cable TV. That does not mean buying sports cars. It does not mean buying name brand clothes. It means providing for the needs of your family. And God guarantees us he gives us what's necessary for that job. And we'll talk about how he does that as we go through the verses this evening. So, this is a big deal. This is something we should, as Christians, take very seriously. We have a job, especially men in the context here, have a job for taking care of their families and their, especially their households. Okay? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. A well-known proverb over here about the ants. But there's a good principle laid out for us here in Proverbs 6. Verse 6 through 8. Go to the ant, you slacker, it says. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. So here, what we have is God displaying for us, even with little creatures like the ants, a wisdom of preparing for the future, particularly being hardworking so that you can prepare for the future. And you don't have to have someone telling you what to do and when to do it and how to do it. You work hard, you put some things back during the summer so that you may have during the winter. And you can think of those terms figuratively. We all have summers and winters. You know, it's always interesting to me. We act like we don't know winter's coming when we're in a summer. But what happens every year? Winter comes. Think of this figuratively. 
We act like we don't know some bad thing's going to happen to us, but no, winter's always coming. There are times when God gives us a bountiful and plentiful summer, and there are times when that is followed by winter. And if we would save and put aside during the summer, we would have during the bleak, cold, desperate winters. Does that make sense? It's a simple principle here in Proverbs, something so simple even the ants understand to do it, but it is amazing how many of us humans with our superior intellect still don't get this lesson. Put aside so that you may have when you don't or when you can't go out and gather. That, that's the lesson here. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans 13, and verse 8. Over here, you've got it saying this. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now this, a lot of times, is, is taken out of context, and I'm, I, I 100% agree this is not saying any sort of debt is sinful. Okay? The context here really is not your finances. And there are other passages that deal with owing money to other people, and we're going to talk about those in just a moment. But I do think that it is important to note that the ideal is to not be indebted in any way to anyone else. If we do not owe people what they have to expect from us, then what we give them is a blessing and a gift. When we owe them something, what we give them is no longer a blessing and a gift. It is a responsibility. It is an obligation. And so we need to make sure that we are recognizing the goal for Christians is to owe no man anything but love. Because the truth is, when you owe someone something, that oftentimes interferes with the greater relationship. Uh, Dave Ramsey, when he talks about this, says that when you borrow money from family, it changes Thanksgiving dinner. And the idea is, whenever you've got this burden between a, a child and a parent, or between siblings, or whatever it is, whatever the relationship is, it is amazing how often the financial obligation interferes with the relationship. Have you ever seen that happen to families before? And so when that happens, what, 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 what becomes the problem is the finances tend to take priority over the relationship. This is why the goal should be, oh, no, man, anything. Why would we want anything to hinder our relationships with one another? Does all that make sense? All right, moving forward. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. Now, I will say, I find it interesting that this verse comes after the preceding verse, which is a very popular, well-known verse, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it, right? We're all aware of that verse. Here's the following verse, also well-known, 
the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. The rich rules over the poor, but the borrower and the borrower is slave to the lender. This goes along with the verse we already talked about of owing no man anything. The reason that becomes difficult is because the relationship changes. You are no longer equals in a loving relationship. You are now superior with inferior, and you're supposed to have a loving relationship. Do you see why that gets difficult? It is often difficult for people to wear multiple hats in a relationship. Uh, I, I remember back when and somehow we, we made this work. So, again, these are principles. These are are. are Proverbs, but I at one point worked for my wife's family. They all work together. I don't know how they make it work. Uh, I, I will say, when I worked for them, it was really hard to see them as anything other than bosses. Because I, we, it was kind of interesting because I worked for them in a business. I was also their preacher, so that made a weird kind of relationship between us, and we were family. So you never knew what was going to be talked about at Thanksgiving dinner, okay? But it, it, it made the relationship difficult because now we had to do a balancing act of, well, do we talk about this at dinner, or do we avoid talking about that at dinner because we don't want it to interfere with this other side of our relationship? That's very difficult to deal with. Here, whenever someone borrows money from somebody else, it becomes difficult because now, if ever there is an issue where payment is not paid, how do you handle that? How do you balance the relationship between you owe me and you love me? Or how do you balance the relationship between I love you but I can't forgive you this debt. See, why? It, it just it makes things hard. Now, we have eliminated a lot of that in our modern culture because we have taken the relationship side away from the rich and the, and the owner, the lender, because we've lend, we borrow from organizations, from banks, from companies. And therefore, there's not some individual that we are indebted to. We are now indebted to an organization, and there's a legal arrangement. And so that changes things a little bit for us. It, it kind of eliminates some of those difficulties of relationship. Uh, but still, now you run into the issue of if I am so... Uh, burdened with borrowed money that I have to pay back, I am now limited on what I can do with my money because all, you know, this percentage of my money has to go to this legal obligation and it leaves me with less to work with. And you got to be careful about that. Oftentimes people borrow for things that they honestly don't continue to enjoy the entire time they have borrowed money to purchase said thing. If I borrow money to buy a car and I put a six-year loan on that car, but two years in it's got scratches and stains on the seat and it's got that little bit of a smell from spilled milk, not that I speak from experience, 
It's kind of hard to enjoy making that monthly payment at this point, right? Because I don't enjoy what I'm paying for anymore. It was really easy to borrow money for it when it had that new car smell and everything was clean and shiny and and I got in that first time going, you know what, we are never going to make a mess in this car. You ever told yourself that? (laughs) I don't think you can see the floor of our van right now. It's funny how our perception changes on things after we've had something for a little while and the new wears off. And now we feel burdened by making that payment. It's no longer a joy to make that payment because we needed it at the moment. We, we wanted it at the moment. Well, we don't want it anymore. And so we become slaves to that financial master because we've obligated ourselves. And the difficult thing is when you obligate yourself to one thing, you burden yourself away from being able to do another thing. Proverbs 21, verse 5. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. Now, my experience in doing financial counseling with people, which I've done on several occasions, is this. Most people don't know what they spend their money on. Most people don't have a clue. Now, you can get in that not-so-brand-new car anymore and see all of the chip bags and the soda bottles on the floor that they've gotten from convenience stores as they've traveled to and from work, and you realize exactly where their money's gone. Taco Bell wrappers and those things. tells you the kind of people I do financial counseling for. And and you, uh, you, you you see where they spend their money. It's not hard to figure it out. All you got to do is keep track of it for a month. You'd be amazed how much money you spend where you don't realize you spend it if you're not being diligent. And that's where most people's money goes. It goes not in the planned meal grocery list that you picked up from Walmart. It goes from the things you grabbed off the shelf because you didn't remember you needed this too. Right? And that's where the money goes. It's that recklessness that creates poverty for most people. Most people have what they need. It's just that they want to spend more on what they want. And most people want what they didn't know they wanted until they saw it. And that, that leads to ruin. Prudent people save. Prudent people spend purposefully based on a plan prudent people make sure that the money is going where the money is supposed to go not going where they just have flippantly decided to let it go and so spending oftentimes displays our foolishness proverbs 27 verse 23 proverbs 27 verse 23 Know well the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. For wealth, and I'm going to go ahead and read verse 24, for wealth is not forever, not even a crown lasts for all times. 
The idea here that money back in these days was not currency in the way that we think of it today. They didn't have dollar bills and they didn't have a currency system the way we think about currency today. They did have coins. They would mint coins even uh, during the time of Solomon, but they, they didn't have a, an elaborate everything was done by currency the way we do it today. And even these days, everything's done by digital currency uh, as opposed to physical currency. So the way that they would often do their, their finances, their economy was based oftentimes out of bartering. So I raise uh, crops, you raise herds, well I'll trade you some crops for an animal and we'll make sure that we are trading equally. And of course God had a lot of rules in the old law about how they would make sure that they would do that honestly and that they would weigh things appropriately and things like that. Well the only way to truly know how wealthy or what you could afford was to actually know the condition of your flock. If you've got, if you haven't been out to see your flocks in a while, well, how are you going to know whether they are all alive? How are you going to know how many head of sheep you have? How are you going to know what kind of, uh, of harvest you can expect to have from your wheat? The only way for you to really know is to know the condition of your situation. Well, there's a lot of people in this world that don't know that. Very few people, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very honest with you here. There is not a job I do in our family that I despise more than our bookkeeping, our paying of bills, the balancing of our bank accounts, and all of that kind of stuff. I abhor it. Like, I, I don't know how to give stronger language to it. The other day, it was my turn to, not my turn, I do it, it my, my day to do, get our finances updated. And I walked upstairs and I said, I want you to understand something. I just went downstairs and said, this office looks like it needs a, a good cleaning. I'd rather clean than pay the bills and, and balance the bank account. I hate it. And then I remember verses like this. Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds for wealth is not forever. I got to know what God has blessed me with to know how to use those blessings to bless others, to bring more ability to the kingdom, to be able to take care of my family. I got to know it. Which means I got to learn to balance the bank account. I've got to learn to write a budget. I got to learn how to make a plan because the plans of the diligent lead to good things and, and uh, just throwing your money around doesn't. I, I got to understand where I'm at and what the plan is and how we're going to pay for this, that, and the other if I'm going to be able to move forward. And very few people not only learn how to do that anymore, but then they don't. And it is amazing to see the statistics of how few people actually know how much money is in their savings account or how much money is in their bank account. Not necessarily at a second-by-second second basis, but in a general sense. People just don't even have a clue. I remember the first time I had a bank account in high school. My parents, you know, they had learned from somewhere that we, we youngins needed to get some experience in bank accounts and 
So I got my first debit card. Man, that money came out of there fast. Because I didn't have a clue how much money was in there. And I was really shocked when all of a sudden money wasn't there anymore. And that woke me up. Because my money didn't go near as far as in my head I thought it was supposed to. Because I didn't know the condition of my flock. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 2. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 2. Here it says, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. It goes on to talk about some of those disasters. Let me tell you right now, it is not for probably 100% of us if a disaster is coming. It's when a disaster is coming. That's just the way life is. I'm not dooming and glooming. I'm not complaining. And I think it is one way that God keeps us from being attached to this world. He lets bad things happen to us so that we can desire to go somewhere where bad things won't happen to us. But because we know that bad things are going to happen, winter always follows summer. Because we know that is true, there is wisdom in a process called diversification. Divide your earnings up. Invest wisely. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? We've all grown up with that phrase. Make sure you have seven or eight baskets, according to the writer of Ecclesiastes. Make sure you're able to know that your money is, is it, you know, even if disaster falls in one place, that doesn't mean you're wiped out because you've diversified yourself among several different categories that allow you to have some stability that you wouldn't have if you had everything in one basket. I heard somebody just the other day tell me, you know, Adam, all of my money's tied up in this house, so I'm going to have to sell it for a good profit. And I went, oh, I hope you do. That's dangerous. That's really dangerous. And what happens if we go back to a 2007 situation where there's a housing market crash and now all of a sudden about 30, 40% of homes are upside down? What are you going to do? What do you do in that situation? Or, or, or what are you going to do if all your money is in the stock market and all of a sudden we have a big crash like we did after 9-11? There were a lot of people who died not in the World Trade Center's but because of the collapse of the world trade market, because they committed suicide. And that is something to be aware of. If you don't have all your eggs in that one basket, if you're able to divide your portion up among seven or even eight, you're safe. And that is wisdom, according to the writer of Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 24, 27. Notice we're staying quite a bit over here in the wisdom literature. There's a reason for that. It's wise. This is wisdom for us. It helps us to learn what we're supposed to be doing. Proverbs 24, 27 says, Complete your outdoor work and prepare your field. Afterward, build your house. Afterward, build your house. 
You know, part of the American dream in our culture today is to get married, buy a house. Those are the two things that people want to do. Get married, buy a house. And more, I, I see it more and more, especially with the low interest rates we have going on right now and some of the things going on, people are overextending themselves greatly when it comes to buying a house. And I'll tell you, there aren't many people out there that are going to tell you, you know, you really need to pull back and not buy so expensive of a house. No, I mean, buy as much as you can. That's what your lender is going to tell you. That's what your real estate agent is going to tell you. It's what your friends are going to tell you. or They claim to be your friends. So, you know, that they're going to say, get as much as you can get for the money. The problem is, when we get the cart before the horse or we outrun our headlights as I talked about this morning what you end up doing is you end up putting yourself into a precarious situation where you owe everything to the lender and you feel like a slave instead scripture teaches wise men do the hard work and then they purchase they work hard for what they want, for what, for what they, they would like to move into, and then they make the purchase when they can afford it. But there's a, there's a pattern here. Do the work, do the saving, make the wise decisions, then make the purchases. And if we'll do that, we'll be in a better situation. Uh, who in here wants to be uh, house rich, money poor. No one. Who in here wants to be comfortably enjoying your house? Everyone. And that's the difference. You know, I don't care if the, uh, you've got the most beautiful crown molding you've ever seen in your life. If that crown molding becomes a curse to you because you realize, well, we've just bought way too much house and we can't afford this now and now we're worried about losing it and how embarrassing it'll be to, to, to you know, be foreclosed on or have to sell the house and now the market's not good and we're not able to find something good. And, you know, it, and, and it just it creates such a stressful situation when you get things out of the order of what God says is wise. But that's standard day-to-day -day living for most people in this world. And we as Christians can do better than that if we will do things God's way. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. Moving on over into the New Testament, talk a little bit more about the, the way we should view money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. Paul tells Timothy here, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We as Christians should be the example of contentment. Contentment. 
what does that word mean? I, I tell you, we Americans need to define that word again, right? Because that is not a common attitude in our world. We have trained the younger generation to never be content, always want more. If you watch commercials still, which I find less and less of us do anymore, the whole point of commercial in the advertising industry is to create discontentment. That's their job, to make you want more. If you don't see commercials, you see them in ads online. Uh, it, there, it is amazing how many programs have been created their entire job is to place something you want in front of you at the moment you want it, right? Uh, it, it, we, there's a big thing back recently uh, about how our computers and our phones are listening to us all the time. How many of you have had the experience where you've had a conversation with someone and then later that day you see an advertisement for it pop up on your phone? Yeah, that's not by accident, people. There are whole things designed to listen to your conversation and catch keywords and automatically start sending you advertisements for those keywords in order to give you what you want and to give you an opportunity to buy it. We Christians need to be above that. I've got food. This afternoon I had trouble getting our crock pot put in the refrigerator because with seven of us in the house, our refrigerator stays full. Now let me tell you something. It doesn't have to stay full. We have been blessed with a full refrigerator. Blessed. I've got clothes to wear, an entire closet full, and so many clothes that there's a lot of my clothes I don't even ever wear. I've got more than enough. Why am I always looking for more? We've got to be cautious about that. God's very clear that we should be content people. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Proverbs chapter 3. 9 and 10. Over here it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. What does it say we should do with the very first of our blessings? Honor the Lord. The very first thing we gain should be used to bring honor to God. Now, I'm not saying that's a tithe. I'm not saying that's a contribution or a free will offering or whatever you call it. I am saying that the first thing you should consider with every dollar, every blessing you receive is this. How can I use this to bring honor to God? Can I use it to support the needy? Can I use this to support my, my family in some way? Can I use this to grow in my faith? Can I use this to be a blessing? How can I use this to bring honor to God? If you will do that, you will discard a love for money. 
and you will replace it with a love for God. That's the difference between people who view their money as what they own and people who view their money as they are stewards of what God owns. If we are stewards of what God owns, then we will use what we have, what we've been blessed with, to bring honor to him. Matthew chapter 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. We know all these things in context is talking about food and clothing. What we said we'd be content with over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, food and clothing, that's what God promises. I will make sure if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I will make sure you have the food and the clothing that you need. God promises that. So do I need to fret and worry about food and clothing if I'm putting God first and seeking how to be a blessing to his kingdom? No. Now, it's hard to live that, just like it was probably hard for the Israelites to live knowing that, well, if we don't farm for this next year, what are we going to do? And did they ever keep their Sabbath years? No. We talked about that in our Bible classes recently, or this morning. That's pretty recent. So, we, uh, you know, that, that idea of trusting God to be the benefactor, to be the one who is, who is giving you blessings, to be the one who is taking care of your needs, that's a really difficult thing to do. But it is something we've been told to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 through 4. Here we got an example of Paul taking up a collection and he's taking it from the Corinthian church back to Jerusalem to help with a need that was arising there with a famine that was coming. And he says, now about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collection will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. It is suitable for me to go as well, or if it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. So he tells them that part of their job as stewards is to put some money aside for the blessing of the church in Jerusalem, uh, for this collection they were taking to take care of the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. That's part of what we do with the blessings. That's part of what we do as stewards. And so if we are seeking to honor God with our blessing, then we should be part of that, should be taking care of the needs of the saints. That's the example we have here. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 through 6. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 through 6. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And so again, the idea of if we are content, if we realize that God is our helper, that God is the one who's providing for us, that God is the one who is taking care of us, then it becomes very easy to be satisfied. If God says, I know what you need and I will provide it, who am I to ask for more or demand more or to put God on the back burner in pursuit of more? 
That doesn't make sense, does it? If God says this is enough, then shouldn't that be enough? Shouldn't we be content with that? And if that's our attitude, life becomes a lot simpler. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he's to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Now again, it, it's not just working hard enough to give money uh, and be a blessing to God or, or a blessing to God's work, uh, but it's also being a blessing to others. I should work hard enough that God blesses me not just for my own needs, but also for the needs of others. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. I would say that that's probably what God is already doing for many of us. We've just decided to take what should be given to others and use it for ourselves. You know, we, we need that nicer car. We need that boat. We need that recreation house. We need that vacation. We need this. We need that. We need this other. And there's oftentimes much of what we end up using up that probably God has blessed us with for the purpose of using for others. We as Christians should be above all of the world the most generous people. You know what statistics show? The exact opposite. We are at best on par with the world when it comes to charitable giving. And that's including the giving we do in a church setting. Isn't that a problem? Shouldn't we be seen as those generous people who give so abundantly because it, it's what their God requires of them? Well, I would think so. Now, part of the difficulty with those statistics is also this. I would guarantee you there's many people in here who have given to others and nobody but the receiver and sometimes not even the receiver knows. Because most Christians that I know are generous are also anonymously generous. And that's wonderful. I'm, I'm, you know, again, these are principles for you to think about. These are not condemnations against you because I don't know how you give. I've never seen your bank account, never want to. Uh, but we as God's people need to consider how generous are we being with our, with our blessings, with our money, with our time and those things. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 6. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. So find opportunities to do good and share. For no other reason than it pleases God. I, 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 several times in my, uh, my life I've seen people give, uh, let's say in a, in a church setting where we, money has been taken up to help out somebody in need. And then about a month later, I hear someone going, well, they didn't even say thank you. Is that why we do it? Do we do it for the thank you? Or do we do it because with such sacrifices, God is pleased? 
You know what? Shouldn't it be good enough that God says thank you? Because that's essentially what this verse says. When you choose to be generous, benevolent, kind, and share with others, God says thank you. And that should be enough for us. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In every way I've shown you what is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. We need to be people who are willing to live by that principle. That Jesus said we should be givers. That Jesus says we should be generous. That Jesus says that we should labor so that we might have to give. That Jesus says that the blessing is not in receiving more, which is what we in our culture feel like is most important, but it is in giving more. Is that us? I certainly hope so. It's a great opportunity we have to display the character and generosity of God in the way that we handle our finances. Because I tell you, if we're handling them the way the Bible says to handle them, we will be different than the world. As they complain about their lack of money, we are thankful about the perfect amount of money God has blessed us with because he has provided And as they stingily hold on to their money, we are generously giving our money to needs. And as they are are, are buying more and more and more stuff and stressing out about how they're going to take care of all the stuff, you know, I bought a new boat, well, now I need a garage to store my boat. Well, now I need a bigger boat. Well, now I need a bigger garage to store a taller boat. I have watched that happen with people. That just every single time you turn around, they bought a new toy, a new thing, and then they're stressing out about how to take care of the new toy or the new thing. I tell you, the Christian life where we just contentedly live in service of God, that simplicity that comes with being a Christian, there's just nothing better than that. And if we could learn to ignore the messages of the world and the messages of advertisers and the messages that we're constantly bombarded with and just listen to this one, oh, life becomes so much better. And that's true not just with finances, it's true when it comes to salvation in our souls. The world is going to tell you to make your own way. God says do it his way. The world is going to tell you that you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. God says he has to pull you up. And he will if you'll be baptized into Christ. You get those sins washed away. You let him be in control. and You let him make the decisions for your life. Life becomes grand in a way you never would have known following it your own way or doing things the world's way. I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, tonight's a good night to become one. If we can help you uh, by showing you some truth and maybe helping you be baptized into Christ, we, uh, we want to do that. Please come forward and let us know as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. 
If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.